it's like you can take any moment in your life and any feeling and you can sort of start to walk down that path of what if. And so for me, writing comics has always been just like that. On today's episode of Origin Stories, Raina, a graphic novelist so famous, you didn't even need me to tell you that her last name was Telemeyer because by my saying Raina, you knew exactly who I was talking about. Raina Tegelmeyer's work helped revolutionize graphic novels as we know them today, cementing their place in schools and bookshops. And she did that by just being herself and following her passions, as you will soon hear directly from Raina herself. I can't imagine the graphic novel landscape without her. And she's one of my oldest pals in the book industry. I can't imagine not having her as somebody to lean on as we have all navigated these careers we have in comics. I'm so proud to present to you Raina Telgemeier's origin story. Origin Stories with JJK. Jarrett J. Prezosky. Jarrett Prezosky. Before we get into my conversation with Raina, Origin Stories is sponsored in part by High Five Books a beautiful and incredible indie bookshop here in Florence, Massachusetts. Check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for links to buy Raina's books directly from this fabulous indie. And while you are over on the High Five website, check out their curated lists of book recommendations. Truly High Five worthy. Okay, on to my chat with Raina Telgemeier. Hello, Raina. Hey, Jarrett. How's it going? It's going well. So we do share this story often, but for historical context <laughs> for the readers out there, we should tell them just how we met. Uh, back in the MySpace days, I got a message from this dude who was like, hey, I'm an illustrator. You are also an illustrator and I like your work. Let's be friends. It was 2003 or so? I think it was 2006. So 2006? Like, was it that late? Was, I think so, because my first Babysitter's Club book had just been published. Oh, no, no. We were friends before then. We were, were friends. We? Be- yes, because oh I God. remember, because David Levithan and I met in 2003, and I remember a year later or so, we were talking, and, he, and we'd become friends, and he's, oh, we're creating this whole new comics line <laughs> at, at Scholastic, and we're going to adapt the Babysitter's Club books to be graphic novels. And we hired uh, this person named Raina Telkomar, and I said, we're MySpace friends. Because I remember my book, Annie, I guess the marker for me was my book, Annie Was Warned, was published. And I think you bought it at your local bookshop yeah, in, in, I Bur- just in Brooklyn or New York. Yeah, I happened to buy a copy of that book, like, I don't know, months or something before before you messaged me. That's yeah. It was so like, funny. Yeah. And, oh, so, <laughs> and then we met for reals at library conference. Your daughter had just been born. So oh, so she she was born in the very end of 2008. So I bet that was, I bet when we met in real life, okay. it was... Probably the spring of 2009, yeah, because the first Lunch Lady book was coming out. And I remember we were sitting at tables next to each other and yeah. just hoping the librarians would stop and talk to us. And most of them didn't. Some did. <laughs> but I also remember specifically you had a portfolio of original art from your Babysitter's Clubs books. Yes. And I remember those are only like 20 bucks a piece. Like, I should buy <laughs> one. 
<laughs> I was like, I don't have 20 bucks. So let's pretend we didn't know each other from MySpace. We didn't have emo music as you clicked onto our pages. Wait, do you remember what songs you would have? Because also, for historical reference, MySpace was a social media page in which you expressed yourself by placing a song when people clicked on your page. I never had a song on my MySpace never, page. You never did what that, okay. I was probably Postal Service. So let's pretend I've never read any of your graphic memoir. Like we haven't known each other since the early, mid-2000s. I want to know how did Raina Telgemeier come to be? When you were a kid, what were some of the things that excited you? What was your house like? Nothing in my house excited me. It was a kind of small apartment that I lived in with five other people. I have two siblings younger than me, my mom, my dad, and then my grandmother moved in with us for a little while. So it was a tight space, two bedrooms, one bathroom. And my little way of escaping and finding space for myself was that I had a drawing desk and I loved to draw. So... I made comics starting around age nine after discovering Calvin and Hobbes and Peanuts and everything else in the newspaper. And so my little world existed on the page. And that has never changed since, <laughs> since those early days. I think that young readers today don't fully understand or appreciate the fact that when we were kids, the only way we got cartoons was to wait for Saturday morning. And yeah. cartoons were on for just uh, a couple of hours. And mm -hmm. there weren't graphic novels being written and illustrated and published for us. So what were some of your early uh, influences? Well, I mentioned the newspaper strips that I read. So every year a collection was published of these various comic strips. And so by the time I started reading comics, there, I think there was like one trade of Calvin and Hobbes. And my dad blew my mind by taking me to the bookstore and being like, that comic strip you like, Raynette, there's a book. And I was like, what? There's a book? So I could bring that home and read it over and over again. You could read it every day. You could enjoy it as it unfolded in serial. And then you could go back and read the whole thing in one afternoon. Yeah, it was like experiencing it in two different ways, in two different time frames. And then as the years went by, I just became a collector of those books. And I was collecting not just the Calvin and Hobbes trades, but the Far Side collection, the For Better or For Worse collections. I really loved Luann by Greg Evans, which is like a teenage romance soap opera. I loved Dennis the Menace, which was single panel, but felt like there was a whole world in that one image every day. What else? I loved Foxtrot. Even though Foxtrot wasn't published in my newspaper, I still knew about it. So I did have to wait until the end of the year to read all of the Foxtrot strips from the previous year. But yeah, so those were my comics. I really <sighs> fell in love. And then this is where it gets weird is that my dad saw that I was a lover of comics and he decided to introduce me to something that was on his pile next to his bed, which was a graphic novel called Barefoot Gen. And that was by an artist named Keiji Nakazawa, who had lived through the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. And it was his sort of fictionalized memoir of that experience. And so your dad gives you this really intense graphic novel when you're a kid. And I heard something about you. You read this book while you were at camp or something? Family camp. So oh, okay. we were during like quiet time every day. I'd go and read a little bit of Barefoot Gen, and then I'd read some more. And then when I finished the book, I, I was so upset. And I think the reason I was so upset was because up to that point, comics were funny and they were like an escape and kind of a joy. And then this was a comic that presented a historical event that was also just brutal and heart-wrenching. And the book ended on a cliffhanger. It ended with 
several of the main characters' family members dying in the atomic bomb, and I just, I couldn't handle it. And so my parents had to soothe me and be like, yes, it's a true story, honey, but the artist survived so that he could tell this tale, and it's really important that kids like you could read this so many years later. So I filed that away in my head for later, like, okay, the the most visceral response to a piece of art I have ever experienced was from a comic book. And so anytime from then on that somebody would say something like, oh, comic books are dumb or they're just for kids or that's that throwaway entertainment. I've always been the kid that was like, just you wait, here's a book for you to read so that you will understand that's not true. And I became like little pacifist Raina when I was 10. (laughs) So like you, I was a kid who would also go right to the comics page in the newspaper and I would go to Calvin and Hobbes and Snoopy. And I also really love for better or for worse. It was a comic strip, was a real slice of life of this family and the characters aged in real time. Yeah. Uh, And in fact, uh, the, the son, the big brother, was just a year older than we were growing mm-hmm. up. Yep. And hearing you talk about those comic strips, hearing about your father giving you this book, Barefoot, again, I, I really sense that those two pieces came together to create uh, the Raina Telgemeier we all know. It really did, yeah. But I was a tween when this happened, so I still needed to spend some time developing my art style and my voice as a writer. And I think I equally drew from the books of Anna Martin and Judy Bloom and Beverly Cleary, who were also doing realistic fiction about contemporary girls. And I just, I got to read their stories. And so when I wrote in my diary after school and I described my day and I talked about my friends, I was writing in that same voice. Of, this is what I look like. This is what I'm feeling right now. This is why me and my friend like got into a fight today, or this is how we made up. This is why my sister is really driving me crazy. And so it just, it was just natural for me to continue writing and then drawing comics with that same point of view, that same perspective. And absolutely, for better or for worse, I still think of it as one of my foundational experiences, just discovering that. And not just, oh, you can make comics like this, but also, oh, it's okay for me to be a person. Because you just described Mm. how Michael Patterson was about the same age as you and I both are. And then his younger sister, Elizabeth, was about the same age as my sister. And... I credit Lynn Johnston for the fact that she wrote these children's points of view from her own childhood. And she remembered so many things about just feeling self-conscious and about misbehaving sometimes and feeling guilty about it, but then having to like lie in order to save face because you're so embarrassed to tell your mom that you did something dumb. Mm. Um, And just, she would get like a whole week's worth of material out of something as simple as Michael has a pimple And he doesn't just want to cover it up with a little bit of zit cream. He's, I don't want to go to school. And then he has to come up with an excuse for why he doesn't go to school. And it's just, if you can take any moment in your life and any feeling, and you can start to walk down that path of what if. And so for me, writing comics has always been just like that. Well, how did I feel about something? What are my memories? What are the ridiculous things that did happen? What could have happened? But again, I didn't know any of this when I was younger. I just knew what I liked to read. And it all just got stored into this 
this uh, this file for later. When I was in art college, one of the best pieces of advice I received was from a, a teacher named Oren Sherman, and he taught us to never follow trends. Whatever's popular now isn't going to be popular by the time you get out there. And if you're thinking vampires are all the rage right now, and you're going out there to say, now I need to work on a vampire stories, by the time you make it, that trend will have come and gone. So when you were graduating college, I'm sure you weren't thinking like, oh, I'm going to write and illustrate graphic memoir stories about my own life as a tween uh, and then have that be one of the most popular uh, segments of the publishing industry. I mean, that that wasn't going through your mind, I'm sure, at the time. Yeah, those were just the thoughts that were running through my head um, <laughs> at the time. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about art school. So I went to School of Visual Arts in New York City, and I chose that school because they had a cartooning program. However, when I went for my entrance interview, the chair of both the illustration and cartooning departments sat down with me and I showed him my portfolio, which had a lot of comics in it. And I said, which one should I do? Which one should I choose as my major? And he was an old school illustration guy. And he was like, definitely illustration. It's because he didn't see any superheroes in my portfolio. He just thought your style and your voice and your sensibilities are a little bit closer to what the trends are for children's picture books and for editorial illustration. And he just didn't, he didn't see what I was trying to show him, which was that I was making personal memoir, short yeah. story comics. And I had been for a few years and he just went illustration. And I was like, I trust you wholeheartedly random dude. Oh. <laughs> and so I became an illustration major. Yeah, well, I, so I have a great solid foundation in painting and drawing, which I might not have gotten otherwise, but while I was there, I was like, let me just take all the cartooning classes that I can. And actually, I wonder if I had been a cartooning major and those had been like my primary assignments, if I would have been less excited about them. But because they were electives, I was mm. like saving it for last. And I was like, oh, this is the, the project that I'm excited to work on instead of that dumb, you know, illustration thing that I'm supposed to do. But I graduated with a foot in two worlds. And as soon as I was done with school, the only thing I did was make comics. I think I've been paid for illustration work maybe five times since graduating in 2002. <laughs> so I've made most of my career as a cartoonist. And so I started publishing mini comics while I was there while I was at SVA and they were four classes. We were doing short story comics as assignments and then we were supposed to, at the end of the semester, combine them into a, a little anthology. And so I just started printing and making and, and giving out and selling my comics. And I started taking them to the small press comic conventions that were all over the country. There was Alternative Press Expo in San Francisco. There was Small Press Expo in New York. There was the Mocha Arts Fest in, I'm sorry, SPX Small Press Expo. That's in Bethesda, Maryland. Mocha was in New York City. And yeah, there were just tons of opportunities at that time for, for self-publishers to enter that world. But none of the book publishers had started paying attention. No, they wanted nothing to do with that at the time. And I'm, I'm hearing you tell the story and I'm thinking like somewhere out there, there are people who have handmade Raina Telgelmeier zines somewhere in their comics collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Every single just, one handmade. And, and you were just doing what you love to do. Yeah. And I was telling stories from a contemporary perspective. So a lot of them were about friends and just little experiences that I had 
but I also drew short stories about my childhood. And those seem to be the ones that resonated with people the most. And so when I'd table at a show and I'd have five or six minis on the table, people would pick up my work and they'd see my illustration style, which looks a lot like, you know, cartoons, <laughs> comic strip. So they'd look at it and they'd go, oh, this is cute. Is Would this be appropriate for my kid to read? And I'd be like, let issue four, there's a thing about a party I went to and you might not want to show them that one, but everything else is pretty kid friendly. And then over time, I, I just started gearing my stories towards that question. Mm. And eventually I was I was able to say, yeah, everything's good for kids. And at the time, there just weren't that many other indie cartoonists that were doing kid-friendly work. So we all found each other. It was like, those those became our crew. And I think that's where I met you too, was when you were interested in making kid-friendly comics. But do you, and this was like 2004, 2005. And the one that ended up breaking the mold was Baby Mouse by, by Matt and Jenny Holm. It was like Random House took a chance on that graphic novel series kids started to read it. And it's really because of Baby Mouse that Scholastic was able to take a chance on the graphics imprint and why they were able to offer me a contract to adapt the Babysitter's Club into graphic novels because Baby and, Mouse loved And if I remember correctly, the, the Babysitter's Club was initially published in black and white. And, and they weren't even sure if people would be buying graphic novels for their kids. And since the production cost is so high to go full color, a lot of those early books were going just in, in, in black and white, like Babysitter's Color mm -hmm. or in limited color. If you're enjoying my chat with Raina and want to see the conversation, which includes visuals of the books we reference, check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories. I recorded this talk via Switcher Studio. Switcher Studio is a simple and powerful iOS app that makes your live video feeds look like a professionally produced piece. Your iPad becomes like the production control room as you switch between your iPhone camera, which acts as the webcam, your remote guest, and any pre-recorded video or visuals you want to bring on screen. I would like to thank Switcher Studio for sponsoring this podcast. And as a thank you to you for listening, you may use code STUDIOJJK at switcherstudio.com to receive a free month of their service. First Babysitter's Club book was 2006, and you made a few of those. Smile was published in 2010, and how did that come to be? Smile grew up in tandem with those books because I started drawing it for the web. So I was just right. posting one page of Smile every week and tossing it up online and didn't have a big readership and didn't didn't even know myself like where it was going or what was going to happen with it. And it was also just line art, black and white comics. And yeah. I intentionally drew the pages really small so that they would fit on my scanner, no problem. And so I could just <laughs> dash them off once a week. And it was interesting because I thought people were going to just read a story about my teeth, but they got really interested in the story of my family and the relationships that I had when I was 12 and the middle school dynamics that really became part of Smile's legacy, I guess, the, yeah. <laughs> the personal stuff and the stuff that I really gravitated towards when I was reading comics, that, that interplay and those feelings. And so I, I realized your story doesn't have to have an amazing premise. It doesn't have right. to be about a really high concept. And that didn't jive with publishing because at the time, what was popular was Twilight and yeah, all of the vampire stuff. Yeah. And yeah, it was like uh, Buffy was popular. And, and so everybody wanted genre. 
And when I wasn't doing genre, I just, I got a lot of pushback from it. And people saying, we don't think memoir is going to sell. And we don't think that realistic fiction has much of a place in comics. But it's amazing how looking back on it, it seems nearsighted or farsighted. What's the word I'm looking for here? Short-sighted. Uh, short-sighted. short-sighted. Thank you. Short-sighted. <laughs> like there's a thing with glasses to- and I can't remember what it is. <laughs> but that goes to what that t- the teacher said to me at art school, which was don't go chasing trends. So if, if you're going to be like, I'm going to be now Marina Telgemeier, the vampire cartoonist, we never would have gotten the Raina Telgemeier that's you, right? Right. And so. Did those zines make a way for you getting hired for the Babysitter's Club? Yes, directly. In fact, and it was a project my last year that I was at SBA, I wrote a short story about the experience of reading Barefoot Gen when I was a kid. Mm. Three pages long. It's just, it's in and out. Like, I liked comics, and then I read this book, and this book ruined my life. But actually, I think it made my life better. And here's a little story about that. And so my teacher loved it. I got an A. I printed it in one of my mini comics. And then it was republished in an anthology. And then that anthology got into the hands of Jana Morishima, who was one of the founding editors at Scholastic Graphics. And she wrote me an email afterwards and said, I read this little story of yours in this book, and I loved it. And we'd love for you to come in and talk about children's graphic novels with us. We're just starting a line here. And in the beginning, they wanted me to pitch like an extended version of that story. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to introspect and dig into a foundational experience in my life. And I was still pretty young at the time. I feel like I was just getting my feet wet. I had been, I, I didn't even know how to tell a story that was longer than eight pages at that point. I had not done it. In the conversation that we had, they were like, okay, what did you read when you were a kid? And I told them that I had loved the Babysitter's Club. They signed me up for two books and that turned into four books. And those books were published at the tail end of the odds. And I mean, they they did okay. As you mentioned, they were in black and white because we didn't really know what the market looked like at that point. And I had never even put color in comics before. I was a newspaper strips girl. So I just, (laughs) everything was black and white to me and manga. And I'm not really a colorist. I just, I've, and the reason that I don't like working in color is because ink dries really fast and watercolor dries really slow. So I can make comics faster if I just keep them black and white. And they're, like you said, they're easier to print. And so sometimes it's just the tools that you have in front of you and what they can do that end up informing what your art style is. Hmm. And had I grown up in a house with all of the tech that we have now, if I had Clip Studio Paint and if I had a Cintiq and if I had a Wacom, like that might have made a difference. We're, we are who we are because of where we're from and, and what we did. And hmm. I have no shame. <laughs> so Absolutely. when kids are like, oh, do I need a special tool? Do I need to get a program in order to make comics? I'm like, what are you comfortable with? Do you like working with a pencil? Do you like working with a Sharpie? Do you like drawing in your breath on the car window with your finger? <laughs> like that can be comics. You can make comics any way you can. I'm going to write that down. I hadn't thought of that example before. That, but that that's good. a good example. That's a good example. That's a really good You've example. You've got a car with windows. And so those can be your panels. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No rush to try to get published. That'll come in mm-hmm. time you could make copies and share it with friends locally or you could snap pictures and you could email it with friends to share around you just have to be really patient and when you're living it you don't know how all these influences are are going to affect you and change you and send you in certain directions and then we also don't know what books are going to come out and what things are going to be successful and because of the success of smile and and this graphic memoir this whole thing which was what no one would have thought 
on paper and publishers would not have thought that would have been successful <laughs> then, but also ignored a, a huge swatch of readers who just didn't want superheroes, who didn't want intense stories, who wanted very kid-friendly slice-of-life stories told mm-hmm. in the graphic novel format, which we didn't weren't ubiquitous it wasn't around much and then that made way for el defo and then roller girl i was able to do hey kiddo because scholastic had success with smile and so you have a a graphic novel that's not a memoir that i thought maybe we could read from a little bit would that would you be cool with that i would be cool with that graphic novels readers theater And so it went. Thank you, Percy. The next candidate for the role of Bailey Johnson will be Rodney Colossi. Sure you don't want to audition, Jesse? I'm sure. All this auditioning stuff is just too much for me. I don't like being judged. To stack myself up against all these guys? I think you stack up just fine. Next up is West Redding. West! Ready. You may begin. How then could a maiden so fair be ashamed of a man like me? Wow, he's really good. He's perfect. Of a man like oh, oh man, don't tell my brother I said that, okay? Seriously, I'd hate to be the casting director for this thing. Yeah. Anybody else here to audition? Anyone? How's your chance, Jesse? Come on, do it. No, I can't. Why not? Why don't you audition? Fine, I will. Wait, what? Callie? Yep. Springtime in the south is like a song in my heart. The heat makes it beat, but the music is. (laughs) Thank you, Callie. That will be quite enough. Bow. Now you see why I stay backstage? Yeah. I guess we can't all be good at everything. Nope. Callie, that was awesome. I think we should take you for Bubble Tea to celebrate your star turn. Oh, knock it off. Bubble Tea does sound good. Yeah, so this would so be us in high school, middle school. Yeah, it it is. It was. So much for hanging out. And uh, you're welcome. I hope to see you in person soon. In the meantime, thank you, Raina, for all of your work. And I, we can't wait to get more on the shelves. And we all have to be patient because these graphic novels take a long time to make. <laughs> in the meantime, let's get MySpace resurrected. And then we'll all go there and hang out. And it'll feel just like we were hanging out in 2004. That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. Awesome, right on. I'll, I'll, see, you I'll see you there. Again, thank you so much to Raina for chatting, and thank you for listening. Remember, if you're interested in picking up some of Raina's books and you'd like to order online while supporting a human with a dream, head to studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for a link to High Five Books, a wonderful sponsor of the show. I've been your host, Jared Krasoska. Find me on all of the social medias. My handle across the board is at studiojjk. Until next time.